I think we got sound. Yeah, we, we're, ready. we're good to go. Take a hymn note if you would. Turn to hymn number 605. Hymn number 605, there's a land that is fairer than day. In the sweet by and by. There's a land that is fairer than day. And by faith we can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore we shall sing on that beautiful shore the melodious songs of the blessed, and our spirits shall sorrow no more. Not a sigh for the blessing of rest. By and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore To our bountiful Father above We will offer the tribute of praise For the glorious gift of His love And the blessings that hallow our days In the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore. By and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. Now just turn to hymn number 603. 603, just back up there a page or two. And we'll sing the first, second, and last stanzas of When We All Get to Heaven. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing His mercy and His grace. He'll prepare for us a place when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus will sing and shout the victory while we walk the pilgrim pathway clouds will overspread the sky but when traveling days are over not a shadow not a sign when we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus will sing and shout the victory. Onward to the prize before us soon is
When we all get to heaven, what a day. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Hymn number 585, this will be our offertory hymn. Count your many blessings. This will be our offertory hymn. Stand with us as we sing just the first and last stanzas. When upon life's pillows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, count your many blessings, angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come back to your house tonight to study your word, hear your word presented. Father, we just pray that you be with each and every person here. Give us safe travel home. And we thank you, Father, for material blessings that you've given us throughout our life and throughout the day. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.
Thank you, Ms. Gale. Thank you for that. I have a video here from our International Mission Board. Brothers and sisters, the IMB is open for business. The IMB is not about a president. The IMB is not about David Platt in the present, and the IMB is not about another president in the future. The IMB is about a coalition of 47,000 churches working together to support thousands of anonymous missionaries whose names and places where they work can't even be mentioned in public because they are spreading the gospel at the risk of their lives. A Muslim people group is hearing the gospel for the first time in one of the largest slums in sub-Saharan Africa. We are seeing thousands of Persian, Iranian, and Afghan refugees coming to know Christ across Europe. One church in a European city started four new churches in the last year. Just to give you a picture of the nations in those churches, when six people were recently baptized, two were European, one was Chinese, and the other three were Iranian. We just saw a Yazidi refugee who was fleeing ISIS come to Christ and get baptized. Last month, after years of work, we finally planted a church in a country that's almost 100% Muslim. In the Democratic Republic of the Congo, we trained 160 national pastors and missionaries to reach 32 Bible-less peoples. In one village in South Asia, we trained 40 pastors and church leaders to reach migrant people groups in the villages around them. We're seeing refugees come to Christ, become disciple makers, and return to their war-torn homeland to rebuild the foundations of their lives and communities on the gospel of Jesus Christ. An East Asian couple we trained is now being sent out as missionaries to a Middle Eastern country. We're sharing Christ with the deaf around the world through social media and other electronic means, and they're coming to faith in Him. And here's one fuller story. In one Muslim country in Southeast Asia, one of our missionaries was with one of his national partners named Ahmad. It looked like it was about to rain and Ahmad asked our missionary if he could borrow an old shirt to wear as he rode his motorcycle because he didn't want to get his new jacket wet. Our missionary handed him a big white t-shirt. Looked like it was about to rain as Ahmad got on his motorcycle. He started on his trip though and indeed it started raining. As many people do, he pulled his motorcycle over under an awning. As he stood there, the owners of a house nearby came out and as is their custom, invited him in for tea. He went in and over tea, Ahmad thought, I might as well share the gospel. And after he did, he asked the couple, do you want to believe and be baptized? And without any hesitation, they said yes. Ahmad was taken back at how quickly they responded and he said, do you understand what you're doing? that you will probably be shunned by your family for this or even worse? The man said, you don't understand. I've had several dreams over the last three nights and in each dream, a man wearing white has told me he had the way to salvation for my family and me. Last night, the man, that man appeared to me again and told me a man dressed in white would come to my home the next day and share the way of salvation. When we saw you standing outside, we knew we needed to invite you in and hear whatever you had to say to us. This formerly Muslim couple is now a follower of Isa the Messiah. So if anyone asks you what's happening at the IMB, you tell them disciples are being made, churches are being multiplied, and Jesus Christ is being glorified among people who have never even heard his name.
David Platt. He's our president of the International Mission Board. When you give, uh, coming up in a couple of months, you'll have an opportunity to participate in the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. When we give, and last year we gave just a little over $20,000 our church, many of us aren't always able to go to Muslim countries and tell people about Jesus, but what we are all able to do is we can give towards international missions, and that goes to support the missionaries that are there sharing the good news. So I um, was very encouraged by that video, exciting to see what the Lord is doing. You know, it's powerful, that story David Platt told about dreams. Do you know, over when you, when you hear missionary stories, when you hear missions, people sharing about what God's doing overseas, over and over again you hear that story about how the Lord is speaking, particularly Muslims, in dreams, and then they hear, hey, tomorrow somebody's going to talk to you, you need to listen to the plan of salvation, and then all of a sudden someone shares the gospel. And that is a certainly a way we, a lot of times we have to, we as Christians, sometimes we can write off dreams, but remember all throughout the Old and New Testament, God used dreams to speak to people, and he's cer- certainly still doing it today. You might even ask the question, why do we have dreams? It might, God might allow us to have dreams for that very purpose, for leading some people to Christ. And that's a, a powerful testimony about that. So this coming Christmas, uh, we'll have the opportunity to participate in our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Our, I want to give you our uh, September is a missions um, uh, months. We collect four major offerings a year in our church. The first one we do is what we call the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, obviously around Easter, and that goes to the North American Mission Board. That goes to for the United States and Canada. That's where those resources are go. Now around Mother's Day. Uh, we, here, um, with the, our local association it used to be the Elkhorn Baptist Association. Now it's the Central Baptist Network of, or Central Baptist, Central Kentucky Network of Baptists, which is just a couple of associations that combine. They have an offering called the Julia Woodward Associational Offering, and we we do that during Mother's Day. And we have Bill Woodward, and that's his, that's Julia. She's gone to be with the Lord. That's her son. He goes to our church. So uh, we collected a, a good offering for that. And then uh, during the month of September here in Kentucky, we participate in the Liza Brodus State Missions Offering. And uh, um, one of the great things about that is right now here in our state, we have Kentucky disaster response teams, the people in the yellow shirts you see on the news and TV all the time, and they're serving there in North Carolina. And when we give to our state state, uh, offering with the Liza Brodus, that goes toward supporting uh, our D- Kentucky disaster relief. And then, of course, during December, we have the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which is international missions. And that's always our largest one we certainly have. So we are a missions-giving church. And all four levels of Baptist life, associational, state, North American, and international, we contribute to those four offerings. And that's in your offering packet envelopes, you have those four. And that's why they're in there, because those are the four Baptist offerings that... Um, that churches are asked, Southern Baptist churches are asked to participate. So I want you to consider this month here in uh, September to consider giving to your state missions. Eliza Brodus, say, who are these people? Eliza Eliza Brodus was the daughter of um, the gentleman who, um, he's foreign, he was one of the founding presidents of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I can't remember his name, but Mr. Brodus there. He was, uh, I can't remember his first name, but he's helped start the seminary right up the road in Louisville, 
He was like the, um, like the, he was one of the charter members, and it was like the third president. And that's his daughter. She was very big in WMU, uh, Eliza Brodus, and she was a contemporary of Lottie Moon as well. She knew Lottie Moon, so <coughs> Lottie Moon was here in Danville. So she, uh, so Kentucky has a great commi- uh, great connection with missions. If you have your Bible, you need to open up to the Book of Luke. We are in Luke chapter eleven. I love the Book of Luke. It's my favorite book of the Bible. So um, we're going through the book of Luke on Sunday evenings. And this passage, we're going to look at five different sections. Uh, um, What we're going to do is we're going to look at the first four verses here in Luke chapter 11, verse 1 through 4. Then we're going to skip two sections. And the reason why is because about three weeks ago, I preached on one Sunday morning. And then this past summer, around I think late July, I preached on the other section so on Sunday morning. So we won't go over those again because... That was uh, just a few, few weeks ago for that. But then we'll finish up um, Luke chapter 11 tonight. We're going to look here at several different sections of how the gospel, how Jesus goes out, and how in many ways Jesus was opposed in so many different areas of his life. And we're going to see how he was certainly able to overcome that. And the messages we're going to see here in the Bible in Luke chapter 11 are literally identical for today uh, for what's going on. So I want you to follow along. This here is what we call the model prayer, also known as the Lord's Prayer. Now, this is Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. Now, the Lord's Prayer, something many of us memorize. I memorize it as a child. I still know it. I know it in the NIV version. That's what I learned it on. And um, that's there in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. Well, this is an abbreviated version of it that we see here in Luke chapter 11. So I want you to look here. Luke 11, 1. It says, He was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. That really shows the motives right there about, well, I want to learn something, because John, John the Baptist, that is, he taught his disciples how to pray, so Jesus, you need to teach us. We want to we learn what the other folks are learning with that. So this is what he said. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father. Now right there, that name, Father, That's an unusual name for a Jewish person to call God. And here's why. That's very casual 2,000 years ago. There was a real sense um, in the Jewish Torah, in the Old Testament, the word Yahweh is God's name. And that, if you notice in your Bible, that's the capital, L-O-R-D, all in caps, Lord in capital letters. That's the Hebrew word Yahweh. Jewish people wouldn't ever say that word because you would not want to say the Lord's name because you could then break the third commandment if you misused it. So the best way to avoid breaking the third commandment is never to use the Lord's name. This is why, if you remember earlier this year, this is why when we went through the Ten Commandments, you hear people use that phrase, OMG, which is an awful word to use because that's a casual reference to the Lord's name. And it's sinful and wrong to say that because you're misusing God's name doing that. So what happens here is Jewish folks back then, they would not say the Lord's name, Yahweh. So here's what, so Jesus is essentially introducing, saying they wouldn't typically call God Father. We would we would have a problem with that because Jesus taught us to say that. 
But Jesus is teaching his disciples here almost on a a father-child relationship to address God as father. Typically, they would use the word Lord or God. That's why you wouldn't say the word Yahweh, but you'd say Lord or God. But here Jesus is saying Father because he's showing almost it's, it's family. There is a relationship between God and you. Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. Now, obviously, that's a shortened version of what, um, of what we see in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. But it's interesting, one of the things here is he, he talks about, and for, in verse 4, and forgive us of our sins. <clears throat> and then he goes on to say, for we ourselves also forgive everyone. And what's important about that is Jesus is teaching something that we always have to be reminded of, just as we have a need for forgiveness, and we certainly do have a need for forgiveness, we have to extend that same forgiveness to other folks. Who are we to accept God's forgiveness, yet we fail and we will not forgive others? If you're holding a grudge against someone, if you don't like people, if you're unhappy about something, and literally you won't let it go, and, and the way to know you haven't forgiven someone is if he just keeps bringing it up over and over again and you're replaying it and rehashing it over and over and over again, that means you have not forgiven them. And Jesus is telling us we have a responsibility and obligation to forgive others. Many of us can struggle with this. It's sad to see people go to their grave literally in anger and hatred towards stuff that happened years ago. And they can't let go. And Jesus is saying, if God the Father has forgiven you, you are expected to forgive other folks. You have to. Moving along, skip down now. Now this next section, next two sections here, I preached on this a couple of weeks ago. So I want you to pick up in verse 27. Verse 27, we're going to start in verse 27 and go through the end of the chapter. Verse 27 here is... Um, is in many ways about Mary. And we're, we're not Roman Catholic here, obviously, but it would be very tempting if, if you are a Roman Catholic person, you believe, and I think on a Wednesday night we went through this. Roman Catholics, if you ever go, you'll see statues of Mary in a Roman Catholic church. I know many of us have been in a Roman Catholic church. I have. Been to, I've been in Catholic worship service before. It's, it's different. <coughs> but you'll see statues of Mary, and you see a lot of references to Mother Mary and Mary. And you say, do these folks worship Mary? Well, they would say, no, they don't worship Mary. But what they would say, the Roman Catholic Church, as just as Jesus came through Mary, meaning Jesus came to earth via birth through Mary, we also go through Mary to God. Because Jesus came through Mary, meaning he was born through Mary. So therefore, we also go through Mary. Now, but never does the Bible say that. It doesn't say we go through Mary. It doesn't say we, uh, it never says we are going through Mary. But look here what happens here in these two verses. This is interesting. If that was true, if Mary was on a pedestal up here, 
surely Jesus would let us know that his biological mother isn't just any woman, she's someone special. In fact, she's someone elevated as a special human, almost like an angel, a deity of sorts. But that's not all we see from Jesus right here. Look what happens here. Verse 27, won't you look at, follow along in your Bible. So what's happening here? Jesus has just driven out some unclean spirits. Some evil spirits have come out. And then verse 27 it says, as he was saying these things, look at this. Someone from the crowd <coughs> raised her voice. She didn't raise her hand. She yelled out. So have you ever been in a meeting and somebody just starts yelling at the speaker? Well, that's not new. It happened 2,000 years ago. So this woman here in the crowd, she raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you. Well, who's that? Well, that's Mary. That's his mama. So this woman here is giving Mary all this glory. Now, if it was true that Mary was an elevated human because she carried God. Surely Jesus would give his mother some credit. But that's not what he says there. Look what he says in verse 28. This is why we have to remember that Mary was just like us. And we'll study Mary this Christmas season. Mary was a, a faithful servant who loved the Lord, who is engaged to Joseph, who was faithful, who was holy, who is a devout Jewish young lady whom God chose for a greater purpose. And that was to bear Jesus. Now look what Jesus says in verse 28. He said, rather, no, he's correcting her. He said, no, wait a minute, rather. Not blessed is Mary, but blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus took an opportunity to that he could have given his mama all this glory and credit. But he's saying, no, let's not put Mary, let's not put mama up here. No, there's something better. Blessed is not my mama. Blessed is the person who hears the word of God, what I'm saying, and then puts it in practice and keeps it. Here's the word of God. Here's the word of God is what he says. Yeah, that's what we're doing tonight. We're hearing the Word of God. And Jesus says, if you hear the Word of God, you're blessed. Not only that, but you not only do you hear the Word of God, but you have to keep it. I wonder why he said that. Jesus said, not only do you have to hear it, then you have to keep it. Do you remember the story of Jesus telling about the parable of the sower? And there was some seed, I preached on this about a year ago, and seed would be scattered out. And it would fall in all sorts of different types of soil. But the some seed would fall on the path. And it said literally, the seed that fell on the path, the devil, it actually says Satan is looking over the shoulder of the sower and would come and take it away. I believe that happens today. You can hear the Word of God, and it can fall right in front of you, but you don't keep it. Jesus is saying part of, part of living a blessed life is not only do you have to hear the Word of God, you have to keep it. That means you have to take this message 
You have to take this Bible right here, and you have to say, I'm going to go apply this into my life. I'm going to go and, and act on what Jesus has told me to do. This is the hardest part. It's easy hearing the Word of God. Well, maybe not even that. It might be challenging here where you get distractions all over, all around us. But Jesus is saying here, you, you need to make sure you hear the Word of God and keep it. Elizabeth sat on the back row this morning. She comes home this afternoon and says, Daniel, or not Daniel, Daddy. <laughs> she didn't call me Daniel. Says, I sat on the back row. First time she's ever sat on the back row of her church. Might be the last. <clears throat> says, I was back there. And there was some man, and we don't know who, he started snoring. And I turned, and a lot of folks were looking at him. I'm thinking, Elizabeth, this tells me you weren't paying attention. You were listening to somebody snore. And that also says something about me. If people are falling asleep, I need to turn the microphone even louder. <laughs> I'm joking, we'll turn up even more. But that means I'm not doing my job if folks are falling asleep. And Elizabeth, you're certainly not listening to me if you're listening to folks snore. Because that's the distractions of what happens on the back row in a church. You're here listening to the Word of God, but you're not keeping it. Jesus is saying, blessed is the person who takes this Word, who takes this and keeps it and goes applies in their life. Church, this is the blessed person. This is the hardest thing to do. Do you daily say, God, I am going to apply your word. I am going to live this out. I'm going to be that type of believer. Move along here. The sign of Jonah. Let's keep going. Verse 29. The sign of Jonah. Now look at this. This is the most applicable verse for today. Luke eleven twenty nine. 29. Look what happens here. As the crowds are increased. So Jesus' numbers are, he's a rock star. He's his the pews are overflowing with, with Jesus. The crowds are increasing. And he, then he begins to say, when Jesus' crowds get the biggest, that's when his teachings get the hardest. And look what he, he says here. This generation is an evil generation. Do you ever think, gosh, how bad can it get here in 2018? Jesus said the same thing 2,000 years ago. The people were evil during his day. They were lost. They did not seek out after the Lord. After the crowds were increasing, he began, this generation is an evil generation. It demands a sign. Do you know, we don't demand a sign. Do you know what we demand today? Entertainment. That's what folks demand in church. You're a performer up on the stage. You have to be cute. You have to be funny. You have to be engaging. You have to be good looking. You have to be skinny. You have to have the look. It is. It's in church, if you're not careful, it becomes a show. It's like going to the movies or the theater or the arena and watch something. But back in Jesus' time, they didn't want to show, they wanted a sign. I mean, today, if folks are falling asleep on the back, the very back pew, uh, this morning, that means I'm not doing my job. It's not entertaining enough. I didn't keep the crowd alive. And Jesus is saying here, these folks are just evil. All they want is a sign. It's a bad generation out there. But no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. You know, how sad would it be if you went to the show at Rupp Arena down here 
And you paid all this money for front stage or really close seats. And the person stands up and says, you know what, the only thing I'm going to tell you is what happened 3,000 years ago with a man named Jonah. He was swallowed by a large fish. They would be disappointed. They're thinking, this is old. We don't want to hear about Jonah. We didn't pay money to come and learn about Bible stories. But Jesus says, guys, I'm not going to give you anything new. Let's remember the Old Testament story of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The sign of Jonah, what he's talking about? Jonah went to Nineveh and he preached repentance to the people. And 120,000 people, the very last verse there, says they repented of their sins and believed God. They got saved there in Nineveh. They trusted the Lord. And then he goes on to say, verse 31, and we're studying this on our Wednesday night. We're studying Solomon. Hope you come. We're going through his life, especially his early life. The queen of the south, that's the queen of Sheba. That's Ethiopia. This uh, queen of Ethiopia, the queen of the south, heard about Solomon's wisdom. And it says, will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth. Back in Bible times, Ethiopia was a long way away to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. You know, Jesus is saying, we're going to get into this on Wednesday night. Jesus is saying, if the queen of the Sheba, the queen of the south, traveled thousands of miles all the way up to Jerusalem, to listen to Solomon, and she listened and obeyed what Solomon said, and she made this great effort to listen. Why aren't you listening to the Son of Man? Why aren't you listening to me? If Nineveh's going to listen to Jonah, why won't you listen to Jesus? If the Queen of Sheba's going to listen to Solomon, why don't you turn in repentance to the Lord? Because there's someone even greater than the Queen of Sheba, And greater than Jonah here, the men of Nineveh will stand up, verse 32, at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at Jonah's preaching and took something great and and looked something greater than Jonah is here. What Jesus just said here is there were these great Bible folks, and they listened to Jonah. They listened to Solomon. And they repented of their sins and did what the Lord say. Now, it's judgment for the, for the evil generation that's not obeying the Lord. What's going to happen to them is at the time of judgment, what will occur is you're going to be standing in front of the Lord and you're going to have the queen of Sheba on one side and you're going to have the people of Nineveh who were all, all these were evil folks, but they listened to the Lord. They will stand in condemnation. How sad will it be from someone from Nineveh who was a lost and wicked city but repented at Jonah's preaching, condemn you and say this person is evil and guilty. And you look at them and go, man, you're just as bad as me. But the difference, they repented. What Jesus is saying, the only type of righteous person there is is someone that turns from their sins. This is why in the model prayer, what we just led here, in the Lord's Prayer, that Jesus is asking, hey, you must ask for forgiveness. You have to acknowledge, I've done wrong. 
this is sinful. And not only that, you have to forgive other folks. Jesus' call is calling us to repent and to turn from our sins. And he's using Jonah, and he's using Solomon, the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba here, to do it. If they repent, surely you can repent. All right, moving along here. Verse 33. This is about our light. And this is really gets to the heart and soul of who we are as, um, as, as uh, believers. Verse 33, it says, the light, <clears throat> the light of the body, we're God's lamp. Verse 33, no one lights a lamp and puts it in the cellar or under a basket. Now, who on earth would go to the store or buy a lamp and bring it home and say, look at my brand new lamp, and then they put a basket or they put, it in, they put it in the garage where there's no even electricity, even turn it on. Say, I buy a brand new lamp, I'm going to leave it in the garage. And there's no outlet plug to even plug it in. Or I'm going to put a big box over it. I mean, that's crazy. Who on earth would get saved only to say, I'm going to be a quiet or a closet Christian? I'm not going to let everybody know what I believe. That's what he's saying here. He said, this absurd to buy a light. But essentially, what Jesus is going to tell us, Jesus is telling you tonight, when you trust in Christ as your Savior, when you get saved and give your life to the Lord, you become a light. You're the light of the world. <clears throat> Nobody puts it under a basket in verse 33. They put it on a lampstand, so that those who come in may see its light. Well, that's common sense. Verse 34. I want you to follow along. See what Jesus is telling us here. Your eye is the lamp of the body. Whenever your eye is healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Take care then that the light in you is not darkness. So he's using our eye. He's saying what you see is a light into your soul. It shows what type of person you are. Everything we see, we're evaluating as saying, okay, this is right or this is wrong. You see something happen, you say, well, this is good or this is bad. You make your decisions, what Jesus is saying, is through your vision. You look at something and you say, well, this is a great thing to do or it's a bad thing to do. And that determines if you're going to be a person of light. So here's what he's saying here. Take care then, verse 35, that the light in you is not darkness. Now this is interesting. This verse is challenging for us, verse 35. Take care, so it's a warning, that the light in you, meaning there's a light inside of you, make sure your light is not dark. What is Jesus talking about here? Make sure, if you're saved, Jesus is saying, you have a light inside of you. God is giving you a light. You need to make sure it's turned on. You need to make sure your light is shining 110%. Because when, when there's sin inside of you, when you have unconfessed, unrepentant sin inside of you, your light is dark. Listen, here's how this illustrates today. Listen, folks, like this morning I was preaching on giving. When we don't give, we're dimming our light. When we don't attend worship because it rained, we're dimming, we're turning the light out. When we don't have a daily prayer life and we're not praying about what I asked you to pray about this morning, about our new 
new vision and direction, you're saying, God, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to pray to you. When you don't read your Bible, how on earth can you keep it if you don't even read it? That's what it means to dim your light. You've become dark. Christ is saying, verse 35, you've got a light. Make sure your light is not turned off. Verse 36, keep going here. If therefore your whole body is full of light, with no part of it darkness, meaning you need to examine, God, is there any sin in my life? David cried out, Lord, search my heart. See if there's any iniquity inside of me. Is there any part of my life, any bitterness, any anger, any uh, unconfessed sin? Do I harbor something in my life that Lord is, is illuminating darkness? It's dimming out the light. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no part in darkness, it will be entirely illuminated. And that's the type of Christian I'm asking you to be tonight. Are you an entirely illuminated believer? Or are you a believer on Sundays and Wednesdays? Church, do folks know you go to church? Do they know you're a believer? I tell you, I was proud for some of our church, church members this morning. We actually had some visitors. I met quite a few on a rainy day, on low attendance Sunday. We had visitors this morning. And some of you invited them. You invited friends and they came. And that's what it means to be a light. You can go out and you, you invite someone to church. Listen, the great thing about church, inviting lost, lost folks don't know that you don't go to church when it rains. Like we all know if it's pouring down rain, you don't get out. But you tell an unchurched soul, they'll come even on the rain. They go to work and when it rains, might as well go to church. Told them I was going to go. So they'll come with you. So rainy day is a great day to bring someone because they'll actually come on that day. They can't work in the yard. <clears throat> so what happens here is Jesus is telling us, Lord, in verse 36, I want to be entirely illuminated. Our prayer, Broadway, is let my light shine in all areas. My speech, what I watch on TV, how I talk to folks at work, how I look at other people. It is. He's saying, my light's going to shine. As when the lamp shines, it shines on you. Last section here, verse 37. We're going to see here, and this is the lengthiest one. Jesus is about to hit the Pharisees hard. Have you ever heard someone say, you know, Jesus didn't talk about tithing? And I'm saying, well, he did, because here comes the verse when he spoke about it. Um, these are the these are the woes. Jesus goes out. There's these Pharisees. These are the teachers of the law. These are the people who hold and keep the Old Testament. They were um, very aware and knowledgeable of the scriptures, and they were people who were actually many days holding up, pushing and keeping other people down with their rules. Basically, they just kept letting folks know you've broken this rule. You can't do this. You've come up short over and over again. So now I want you to follow along. Luke chapter 11, verse 37. We're going to read here through the end of the chapter. Verse 37 says, As he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. Do you know usually when someone takes you out to dinner, and they're paying for it especially, you're very kind to them. Hey, they're paying for my food. I might as well speak words of hope and encouragement. That might be conventional for us today. 
say, hey, I'll, I'll be nice to you. I won't put you down because you're paying for my meal. But not with Jesus. He does the exact opposite. He's about to nail this guy and all these Pharisees. So Jesus is about to give this sermon while at this person's, while dining uh, at this person's house. So he went in and reclined at the table. He said, Daniel, they're not a restaurant. Well, they didn't have restaurants in Bible times like they do today. So inviting someone over to your house and having a servant, someone help prepare the food, that's essentially taking him out to eat. So Pharisees taking Jesus out to eat. Verse 38. When the Pharisees saw this, or I'm sorry, yeah, he, so he goes in, he, he's reclining at the table. When the Pharisees saw this, he was amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing. Do y'all know what that is? Jesus didn't wash his hands before he ate. And the Pharisee is amazed. I cannot believe. I invited this religious leader over to my house, and he sat down at the table, and he didn't wash his hands. This man's filthy. He's dirty. He's unclean. He's gross. We'll never invite him back again. That's what the Pharisee's thinking. The thing about that is nowhere in the Old Testament the Pharisees added to God's law, added to God's rule. Nowhere in the Old Testament do you have to have a ritual washing before you eat your food. Now, we do that because it's healthy for us, but the Pharisees were doing it for religious reasons, to make sure that you don't have any unclean item. And what I want, it is very important to understand where we're going with this. What happened, the Pharisees taught this ritual washing is you wash your hands, Make sure your hands are sparkly clean so that when you eat food and it goes inside your body, it's nice and clean. There's nothing unclean going inside you. And that it looks good on the outside. You've got clean stuff coming in you. You're, you're spick and span. That's the picture that the Pharisees are thinking here. So in verse 38, he's amazed that Jesus didn't do this before dinner. Now, What's interesting about this is the man didn't say this verbally. He's thinking it. Jesus is reading his mind. Verse 39, it says here, But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. What an insult. You just invited this man to your house and he told you you're greedy and you're filled with evil. Fools, didn't he who make, made the outside make the inside too? He's saying, I know the man who created you, Mr. Pharisee, and not only did he create the outside, the outside of your hands, he also made the inside of you too. But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. So what he's saying here is he's saying, Pharisees, you're foolish. Because you want to look good on the outside and wash your hands to look nice and clean. You create this ritual washing only to show that you follow the rules. But inside you're rotten. You're filled with evil. You actually don't even like people. In fact, you don't even give to the poor. You don't even like the poor. Verse 42. But woe to you, Pharisees. Now look at this. This is about tithing. You give a tenth, that's a tithe there. You give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb. 
And you bypass justice and love for God. Not justice and love for the poor. Justice and love to God. That's what Jesus is going after here. He's saying the most important thing is I want you to love God. You need to have your treasure in heaven. He needs to be first. And he goes on to say, these things you should have done, meaning you should have tithed. That was important. Jesus is commending and acknowledging tithing. Listen, when we do not tithe, we are robbing God. We are saying, God, you're not worth 10% of my life and what I own. You're telling the Lord, God, I'm not going to give back to you. And you know, there's a million and one reasons not to give and tithe. When we have these four special offerings, these are what we call free will love offerings that you're giving above your tithe. The Israelites had these throughout the Old Testament where they would give a special offering to missions. Well, they wouldn't give it to missions. They'd give it to the Lord. They would give a type of offering to God. But Jesus is affirming tithing right here in verse, verse 42. He says, these things you should have done without neglecting the others. The others here is you should have obviously loved God while you're also giving to God. You love God and you give to God. And he's calling them out on it. He's saying, you give your 10% because you have to, you visually, folks, folks can track that and they know what you give, but you don't, you don't help anybody. In fact, you wouldn't do any justice or love towards the Lord. Verse 43, woe to you Pharisees. A woe, by the way, is something bad. It's a pronouncement of, it's something very negative. Woe to you Pharisees. And remember, Jesus is not doing this in church. He's doing it at the dinner table. He's sitting at this person's house telling them how sorry they are. That's the context of what's going on. Woe to you, Pharisees. You love the front seat in the synagogues. If this was a Baptist church, it would be you love the back seat of the Baptist church and greeting in the marketplace. Meaning, you want the back seats in church and you want, the, the, you want to be seen. You want, to, you want folks to see that you look good? You want folks to see that you eat at nice restaurants? That you have good tickets to the game and whatever events going on? It's, it's, it's a show is what Jesus is saying. Saying in his time, says you, want to, you sit in the front pew of the synagogue, right up front, and then you just walk around the marketplace talking to everybody, acting like everything's great, and Jesus is saying you're sorry. You're not a great person. Your heart's filled with wickedness, is what he's telling us. Woe to you. Now look at this. I, what I love about this passage, Broadway Baptist, he's sitting at the dinner table telling folks, this isn't a church. He's at the man's house to invite him for the free meal, and he's telling them how bad they are. He's saying, woe to you. You are like an unmarked grave. Now this is dangerous if you're a Pharisee. If we go to Lexington Cemetery... You know, it's considered disrespectful to walk on someone's grave. Did you know that? You don't want to walk on someone's grave. <clears throat> well, Jesus said here, you are, like an, you are like an unmarked grave. The people who walk over them don't know it. It was considered for the Pharisees. They made a rule that if you walked on a grave, one of the most dangerous things is to walk on an unmarked grave for a Pharisee. Because then, you are considered unclean. 
you had to go and purify yourself and say, I didn't know somebody was buried here. It's okay to go into a cemetery as long as there are headstones and you know where the graves are. That way you just walk around the graves. But heaven forbid, if there was an unmarked grave and you were to walk on it, you would be considered unclean. And Jesus just said, Mr. Pharisee, your whole life is filled with uncleanness. All you do is walk on unclean, un, unmarked graves. There's uncleanness, there's immorality, there's sin completely that has filled you up. You're a whitewashed tomb, meaning you look good on the outside, but inside you're filled with sin. And you don't even know it. You are an unmarked grave and people are walking on you, meaning he's saying you're unclean. Now look at this. So Jesus just nailing it right here. I mean, we're at the dinner table. He's just putting these folks down. And look at this. Now, he's putting the Pharisees down. Now look at this. Verse 45, one of the experts in the law, that's an attorney, he spoke up because he's getting offended. He says, I can't believe this guy. We're paying for his meal, and he's just putting us down. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. (laughs) Now, look what Jesus does here. Verse 46, this guy, he probably would have wished he would have kept his mouth shut. Then Jesus said, Woe also to you experts in the law, you attorneys. You load people with burdens that are hard to carry, and yet you yourselves don't even touch these burdens with one of your fingers. Meaning you make all these ridiculous rules for folks. You create a standard that you know no one's going to be able to meet. And you yourself don't even try to meet it. Who do you think you are? This is, this is outrageous, experts in the law. Verse 47, woe to you. You build tombs for the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Do you know when folks are dead, it's great to speak highly of them. Anyone who's dead, their stock goes up. And that's what Jesus is saying. Guys, this is a joke. Why aren't we talking about how great Isaiah is and quoting his scripture? You didn't, your dad killed Isaiah, and you're building a tomb for him. Like you just, you contributed to the death. Therefore you are witnesses that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you built their monuments. Because of this, now look at this, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute. Jesus just told the experts in the law, you guys are sitting around here. Now remember, when we hear the word law, we think of the law of the land, whatever's on the books here in our our government. The experts in the law at Bible times were the Old Testament. These are Old Testament Torah scholars. All these folks do is sit around and study the law. And Jesus is saying, guys, y'all read your Bible cover to cover front to back, over and over again, and study every little rule. It's like there's two, I think there's 613 rules in the Old Testament. And these experts in law would sit there and study them. And Jesus is looking at them, why on earth are you wasting your time studying these rules? Your dad killed the guy who made the rule. And you're building a tomb or recognizing them. And you even follow these rules. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that your whole life is hypocrisy. You're a fake, a phony. You're saying one thing, yet the way you're living is the exact opposite. Look at this, verse 50. 
And so they're going to kill and persecute the prophets so that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of the prophets and since the foundation of the world. Now he's going to give two examples, and these are examples that are important here. The first example he gives, verse 51, from the blood of Abel. Abel is the first person in the Old Testament who died. And that's out of Genesis 4.8. The first murder occurred. Abel was the first prophet, and we know he was a prophet. The book of Hebrews says Abel was a prophet. From the blood of Abel in Genesis 4.8 to the blood of Zechariah. Zechariah is a minor prophet in our Bibles. Now, that is, he was killed in 2 Chronicles 24, verses 20 through 25. Now you say, Daniel, that's not the last book of the Bible. Yes, it is. In the Old Testament, if you go out and get an old, a Hebrew Old Testament, it is not in the same order as our Bible is. The Bible that Jesus, they worked from, those 39 books of the Bible, it ended with 2 Chronicles. So 2 Chronicles was the end of the Old Testament 2,000 years ago. They would read from these 39 books in the Old Testament, and you would get to 2 Chronicles, and that's how it ended. And Zechariah was killed. So the first person, and so based on all the scriptures that Jesus and the Pharisees had, the first one to get murdered was Abel, and the last one was Zechariah. From cover to cover, Jesus is saying, from, from Abel to Zechariah, guys, all you do is kill these prophets that you sit around studying. And your daddy's killed them, and you're building tombs, and, and, um, and you're proud of it. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's why he's quoting this, because Zechariah would have been the last prophet who died. Zechariah, says he perished between the altar and the sanctuary. And poor Zechariah, they killed him in church. That's where they, they got him at. Yes, I tell you this. I tell you, this generation will be held responsible. You killed the prophets, is what he's saying here. Verse 52. Woe to you, experts in the law. You have taken away the key of knowledge. You didn't go in yourselves, and you hindered those who were trying to go in, meaning you wouldn't even teach the Scriptures the right way. The key of knowledge he's talking about, experts' law, is the Old Testament. The Old Testament points to the New Testament, who Jesus is. Jesus is coming, and he's teaching. He's saying, I'm the fulfillment. I'm the Messiah. I'm here to fulfill the Old Testament. And you experts in the law have robbed the people of the gospel. You've taken it away. This is like going to a church today. Could you imagine going to a church and the preacher stands up there and talks about politics the whole time? You go to church and the preacher stands up there and starts talking about how to be wealthy and how to get things from God and how to acquire things what we would call the prosperity gospel could you imagine or could you imagine going to church and the preacher stands up there saying well this is the Bible but there's a lot of mistakes in it we can't trust it completely what Jesus is saying I want to tell you those preachers those type people the political church the prosperity church, and the liberal church, they are all around us. All around us. They're everywhere. I want to tell you, those are the three today. Think about the political church. Listen, you don't come to church to vote. 
We're not here having a voter registration drive and advanced politics. And politics will always leave you disappointed. You will always be, there will be heartbreak hotel in Washington, D.C. Just brings you down. They'll promise you anything but deliver nothing. That's what politics you get with. And the problem with the, problem with the prosperity church is Jesus was poor. He never told us wealth. Remember the rich young ruler? That man's lost. He's in hell right now. He had a lot of things, but he couldn't get received Jesus. The prosperity gospel is taking folks to hell. It's rampant. That's what I showed the video with the IMB. Do you know that's one of the most difficult things they have to work with? The prosperity gospel. When you go on the mission field, people want stuff. They want a blessing. They want things. They want God to do something for them. That's like Jesus asking the people coming to Jesus wanting a sign. They want something from the Lord. And then the liberal church, they've just thrown the whole Bible out the window. They teach whatever they want to teach. Anything goes there. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, you have the keys to knowledge. He said, expert of the law, you know the truth, yet you're holding it back from the people, meaning you're not teaching God's word. You know what the Bible says. You know I'm the Messiah. You know the Old Testament scriptures point to me, yet you don't, you don't hold it. Listen. When we don't tell folks about Jesus, we are robbing them. We are holding back knowledge. This week, when you go out and you see a lost soul, the best thing you can do is tell them about the Lord. It is the best thing you can receive. They can receive as Lord because that's the keys to knowledge. That's what Jesus is saying here. It says, you didn't get in yourselves, latter part of verse 20, 52, and you hinder those who are trying to get in. Could you imagine hindering someone from getting saved someone wants to know about jesus and you've hindered them from the lord that's what these people are doing and jesus is angry and mad at them he's calling out the woes he's saying y'all are robbing people of what's most important last verse here verse 53 last two verse verse 53 when he left there so that, that was an interesting meal they just had. What a dinner. The scribes and the Pharisees. You know, this is one of these dinners that after Jesus left, everybody else had to stay because we've got to talk about what just happened. Like, this was not the dinner that I expected to, to pay for at my house. Jesus just laid it out and told us we're lost. In fact, we've kept other folks from getting saved, and we're going to hell is what he just told us all. So after Jesus leaves, the scribes, and the Pharisees, as teachers of the law and Pharisees, they begin to oppose him fiercely and to cross-examine him about many things. They were lying in wait for him to trap him in something he said. This just meant they didn't repent. They didn't listen to Jesus, and they didn't do anything he told them to. When Jesus told them, Everything he just said in these last few verses of Luke chapter 11, they did not respond as, you're right, Jesus, I need to turn to the Lord and be saved. They responded as, I hate this man, it's time to kill him. What do we need to do? Their response confirmed everything the Lord just said. Listen, when Jesus speaks to us, and he points out darkness in our life, and our light isn't shining bright, We need to say, God, am I responding like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? Or am I responding 
am I responding like you're asking me to? The people of Nineveh, they repented of their sins and trusted the Lord. God, I thank you for the folks here tonight. Lord, this teaching is for us. You've made it very clear that we, we are just like the folks, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Lord, we have sin and iniquity in our hearts. And Lord, you pointed out to us, I pray tonight that we will not walk away like they did in verse 53 and 54 and become mad and decide they want to, we want to kill Jesus. Lord, when you convict us of sin, when you speak truth in our life, Lord, we won't be like the men of Nineveh. And we want to repent of our sins and turn to you. We want to be like the queen of Sheba, who when she listened to Solomon, she took that advice. Lord, open our hearts. Help us see the sin and the danger that lurks all around us. God, I pray this invitation. If there's anyone who needs to respond tonight, I pray they have the boldness to do so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Gene King's going to lead us in our song. Let's stand together and we're going to sing our hymn of invitation. I'll be waiting down front. Let's stand together. Hymn number 434. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, though none go with me, I still will follow, though none go with me, I still will follow, though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back. All right, before we do that, I want to thank Alberta. Kimplin for playing their organ for us today, both today and tonight. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. Let's join in singing to the chorus, Since Jesus Came Into My Heart, as we leave. Since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, Floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart. Thank you and have a good evening.